Thank you. Okay. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, so our passage, if you want to find it on your phones, if you want to look at it, it's uh, chapter 36 of Ezekiel, um, at, starting at verse 24. But I have a question for you. Um, as I've been pondering this passage this week, a couple of things have been occurring to me. Why are we saved? Is one question. Why did God save me? Why did he save you? Why did he save us corporately as a church? Why? So hopefully I'm going to um, draw your attention to something surprising in this passage um, about the Lord. And also the other question is, um, can you think of a time, perhaps recently, that he has shown himself that you have said to yourself or thought, ah, that is the Lord, or the Lord did it. And I have a little story from this week, which is that um, somebody lent me their car, and um, I drove out of their driveway, and I hadn't even exited their driveway before I scraped their car along a pillar. And I ended up across the road, outside their driveway, blocking the road, it was trauma, actually. When Rob mentioned trauma, that's what came to mind. It was trauma. And um, I didn't even have... I got out of the car, saw what I'd done, and the car was jammed up against the pillar, and I actually had to ring one of my friends who owns the car. She ran back. Um, she was nearby, and she reversed the car out away from the pillar that rocked slightly as she reversed it. Whilst she was coming towards me, and I was just standing in the road, in the road feeling awful. Um, I blocked the road, and somebody I knew who wanted to go up the road came along. She parked her car, she got out of the car. We had a little chat. I told her what I'd done. She looked at the car, she said, she went, ooh, that's bad. And she was visiting her parents who live up the street, so she just walked, went on foot up the street. And um, I actually saw her in Morrison's, on yesterday, I was shopping, and we had a nice chat, actually, and partly because I'd seen her and she'd seen me in that awful um, circumstances. Um, so we had a little chat about the car, about how sweet our friends had been, how amazing that they had have just forgiven me. Obviously, there's consequences to pay to repair their car, but, um, you know, we had a conversation and um, I asked about her daughter because I know that she is um, really not enjoying school and so she told me a bit about her daughter, how she was getting on and um, I told her that I had been praying for her daughter occasionally because I had um, and then this morning I was out walking practicing this talk along the lanes and I met her again we just had a brief exchange and actually I was thinking about the Lord has done it and I, I know I was responsible for scraping the car, um, but he, I felt it was a good example of, I think he's in it, and it takes me a while to catch up because I'm quite slow, but I think he's in it, and something to do with this woman, and we've been brought together through that encounter. She saw me in dire straits, and we've struck up a bit more of a friendship, um, and I've shared a bit of my life with her, she shared a bit of my life, her life with me, and I think the Lord is in it. So, whilst I've been telling that story, maybe some things have been occurring to you. Some, sometimes it's miraculous, isn't it? We know the Lord is in it. 
and those occasions might be, I can think of something that happened to me 30 years ago, which definitely the Lord was in it. Um, but then there are those other things that are happening all the time, actually, and I'm becoming more aware of them and trying to name it and say the Lord is in it and giving him the praise. Um, so this passage. So I think my talk really is about how he loves to show us that he is in it. And he loves it when his church let it be known that he is in it. Ezekiel was writing 580 years before Jesus, before Jesus became the new covenant for us and before the age of the Gentiles, the age of the church, when Pentecost came and he's pouring out his spirit on all peoples and all nations, gathering people to himself for his own possession. Ezekiel was writing to the Jews who had been taken into captivity in Babylon and also had already been scattered 200 years earlier by the Assyrian Empire. And God had been speaking to the people for hundreds and hundreds of years saying, return to me, align yourselves with me, be faithful to me, otherwise you will be taken out of the land. And it did happen. And Ezekiel's writing to the people actually when finally the Babylonians have come back and they've completely destroyed the city and the temple. It's been raised to the ground, it's no longer there. There's no temple, no walls of the city. The land is in ruins, it's been desolated, the people have been taken away. There are new people living in the land, but it's um, desolate. And this is his promise to them. I will take you from out of the nations. And let's notice all the eyes. I think that's what I've noticed this week is that he does it. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle you, clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities, your impurities, and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. And it reminds us very much of the way Jesus talks about the spirit. John 14 verse 16 I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And then in Acts he says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, 
you heard of from me. So it's the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit working together. For John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So why does he save us? He loves us. He's our Heavenly Father. God so loved the world that he did not spare his Son, but sent him that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But he also saved us to the praise of his glory. So the the sentence before this passage about I will take you out of the nations and I will do all these things, put a new heart in you, etc. This is why he's going to do it, he says to them. Therefore I say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I proved holy through you before their eyes. So I think I knew this already, but it's really good to read it again. And this God, our God, the King of Kings, Yahweh, Jehovah, he's not like us. He's surprising. And I think what I've realised is that it's really important to align who we think God is with who he says he is in the Bible. Otherwise we may have dropped some things or left some things out or added some things about God that we believe to be true. So he's not actually a true representation of God that we're worshipping. So keeping close to the Bible and learning and being surprised by the Bible and what he says about himself is really important. So he also says at the end of the passage, when he says he's going to um, make them new people, regenerated people, he's also going to then multiply them and the land is going to support them, become fertile again, they're going to rebuild the cities. And he also says at the end of that section, then the nations around you that remain will know what I, the Lord, have rebuilt. That what that will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. So he's very concerned about his holy name and his reputation amongst the nations. And there's also an element of. Um, that I think the Hebrews, they, they, they considered that in those days that the gods were territorial gods. So if your country had been conquered and your people had been taken into captivity, that, means, that meant the god of the nation that did that was stronger than your god. So the name of God is suffering shame amongst the nations because they're all scoffing at 
to do in Jerusalem and say, look at that country, it's been completely desolate. Its people were disobedient to their God and ultimately they were taken into captivity. They've been made slaves and refugees. And their city and their country is desolate. And so God is very concerned about his holy name. He is going to plant, bring those people back and plant them back in the land and their land will be um, restored for his holy name, for his glory. So actually it makes me trust God more because it's not just about me. My salvation isn't just for me, it's great for me and for you and for us. But actually it's about his holy name and his glory. That is his grand plan. And he says, um, interestingly, he says that he is going to be proved holy through you before their eyes. God is going to prove himself holy through his church before the nations and the gods of the nations. So there's a supernatural thing going on as well with powers and principalities. Uh, Listen to Ephesians. So Paul prays for us that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened which makes me think about that passage. He's going to give us a new heart, remove the heart stone and give us a heart of flesh. So he prays for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened in order that we may know the hope. Three things. The hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is the same power. That power is the same as the mighty strength This is where Jesus is. He exerted when Jesus Christ, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Where is he? He is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. He's head of the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Jesus Christ is exalted. God is the king of kings. He, and he's exalted above every other power and principality. And he's the head of the church, which is body. And the fullness of Christ is the church. And he's going to fill the universe with Christ, through the church. So I don't know about you, but I think that's really exciting to be part of that. Paul was sent to the Gentiles to make known the boundless riches of Christ and to make make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery of Christ risen which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. This is his intention. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms 
according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So through the church, the manifold wisdom, the many coloured and diverse wisdom of God, the wisdom of God is the glory of Christ, should be made known, should be declared to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, declared to the spiritual powers that are in rebellion against him. How is he going to do that? Through the church. That's through us, corporately. I've got a quote from Matthew Henry. He says, The restoration of that people, being typical of our redemption by Christ, shows that the end aimed at in our salvation is the glory of God. God's holy name is his great name. His holiness is his greatness. Nor does anything else make a man or woman truly great. So I don't know how that makes you feel. I hope it makes you feel excited. That you're not part of something so big and so cosmic that God is going to um, bring glory to him, himself in the universe through the church. What does this do to our faith? It makes me grateful to be a servant of the Most High God. How do we fulfil our role? He does it all. We've just heard that in that passage of Ezekiel. When we're born again, he has done all the work. And he will do it if we ask him, if anybody feels that they are not born again. Those of us who are, let's work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Our great calling to show his glory. So there's a couple of things I thought of in application um, for us as a church, corporately, to respond to that. The first thing about is about loving each other. Peter says, now that, you have been, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another, another deeply from the heart. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing within, with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Secondly, it made me think about the gifts and how we are given the gifts. God wants to gift, gift us with the spiritual gifts. So can, you, can you shout out a few of the spiritual gifts to me? Love, joy, kindness, patience, courage, humility, gentleness. You know what you're all saying, I completely agree with, and I probably would have said it too if I'd been sitting, because I've, because I've done my homework. <laughs> I think what you're saying is the fruit of the Spirit. 
So, the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy. Hmm? I'm sorry. Tongues, yes. Interpretation of tongues. I think that's a fruit. That's like what? Huh? But, but it could be a gift, actually, for each other. Yeah. Teaching, yes. Healing. Discerning of spirits. Prophecy. Pray. Prayer. Wisdom. Words of wisdom. Words of knowledge. There's loads. Those are the ones just lifted, lifted in the Bible. I think there's others too, not articulated. And he gifts us. Um, why does he gift us? Yeah, to strengthen the church. He gifts us to equip his people for the works of service. So that's us. So we are gifted individually for corporately to equip us for the works of service so that the body of Christ, us all, may be built up. That's all of us being built up together until we reach unity, unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we get gifted for each other to strengthen the saints, to do the work. Then we won't be tossed we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, etc. So let's pursue the gifts, let's ask for the gifts, let's ask each other to pray for each other, to have the gifts so that it equips us all corporately as a church, this church but also the church in Bath. Also, what I've found is actually, I think he gifts us as we do things. So, um, it's also good to try out the gifts just by doing one of the gifts. So, I may not know that I have the gift of knowledge or a word of wisdom, but actually if I think, okay, well, God might have given it to me, but actually I won't find out until I try and use it. So, what I've this week, for example, has been a challenge because I've had a talk to do. <laughs> but actually what it has made me do is spend much more time in the Bible than I usually do. So even though it's, it's kind of a, a burden, it's also a blessing because I'm in the Word. Um, and I know that he's going to gift me. He's probably gifting me right now by doing it. And I know he'll gift me. I'll, I'll feel different afterwards. There'll be a change. So... I'm prepared to go through the, the, uh, the, the uh, endurance of it. Um, but also, it's not necessarily just doing, not necessarily, there's so many, it's that prompt from the Holy Spirit to do something, and actually, by doing it, we realise sometimes that He's given us the gifts to do it. Um, I had a funny experience in town recently, and um, I just, I was, I was shopping and I was next to a couple um, who were actually, she was trying on something in the mirror and so was I in, on the shop floor. And I didn't 
take much thought, but I, I clocked them. And then afterwards, when I was driving out of town on my bicycle, I actually, I was in a kind of, um, I was just riding along. It was one of those areas that you can ride a bike, but there's lots of people walking around. And they were in front of me, and I just clocked his body, and I went down his legs and looked at his ankle and saw that his ankle was kind of turned over and he had a kind of normal shoe on but his ankle was completely turned over and it was almost like God was just highlighting that and everything else was grey around it, it was like a, a highlight, a circle and I, I knew I should have gone and prayed, that's what I felt, it was like God was saying I should just stop, say hi, can I just pray for your ankle but I, I thought are they going to think I'm really weird because they probably saw me in the shop, but, and I didn't, and I bite home. And the next morning I went to see a friend who had an accident, and in fact she'd fallen down the stairs and she'd broken one ankle and really sprained the other. And of course I prayed for her, and um, she shed a few tears. I didn't make any connections, but then I told somebody about the ankle story, and I happened to mention that my friend had broken her ankles. And he said, well maybe there's something going on with ankles. So actually talking to each other about these things is really good because I hadn't clocked it because I'm a bit slow. And um, then that afternoon we had a delivery man and he came to deliver a package and as I followed him out to the gate, I realised he was limping and I, and I, and I said, OK, I'm going to act on this because I didn't act on it the first time. And I said, can I pray for you? And he said, yes. And I prayed for him. And I think he was tickled pink actually. He had a really big smile on his face. Um, and I've seen him since actually. I, I didn't ask him how, how his ankle was, but that's just a tiny example of, of kind of realising something and, and I kind of made a commitment, okay, if anybody has anything to do with their bottom half, you know, their legs or ankles or anything, I'm going to pray. And I have done on a few occasions, so I'll pray for you if there's something wrong with your bottom half, come and ask me and I'll pray. So I've just determined that I'm going to just pray because maybe I've been given the gift of healing ankles, or maybe it's not to do with that, maybe it's to do something to do with ankles. But I'm going to listen, I'm going to pay attention, um, and I'm going to, you know, my brothers and sisters here, you help me pay attention to those things by sometimes articulating them to me. So I have lots of other ideas, but I won't go them, I have masses of pra practical application. One, one last thing I think is to if, for me, anyway, I've, I've had great change and freedom and feel like I'm uh, aligning myself with God when I forgive somebody. Um, and I know when I haven't forgiven somebody, if I kept relaying the conversation in my mind and thinking, oh, I should have said this or I wish I'd said that. So that would I, that's a really practical um, tip, I think, for um, aligning ourselves with God further is if if there is somebody that in our lives that we haven't forgiven, is to do that work. And it, it's hard, and it hurts, and it takes time. And that, but what it does, it makes me rely on God and ask him and get on my um, proverbial knees and, and, and ask him to help me because it makes me feel weak because it's hard and I don't want to do it or it hurts. So that's just one practical tip if you want to get to know him better and rely on him. Oh, and finally, giving him the credit. That's the last little tip. I've decided I'm going to give him the credit.
so I, I just texted somebody last night because they came to mind and I think it's the Holy Spirit and um, she texted back and said, oh, it's funny you were just thinking about me. Uh, this is what's going on and I, when I replied I said, I think it's the Holy Spirit reminding me to get in touch with you. I gave him the credit. She's not a Christian. But that's, I'm also determined to do that because his holy name is what I want to uphold. Well, thank you very much, all of you, for your patience. And um, I'd love to hear your thoughts afterwards or whenever in response. Thank you.